Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. Excited to be back with you on this episode. And I want to continue on uh, talking about some things I talked about before in a series. But before I do, I want to encourage you to go to pastorbites.com and fill out uh, the questionnaire. If you have any question or a topic you would like discussed, you know, there's no dumb question. Just send it in. You can do that anonymously if you don't even want to have, you know, for me to know who you are. You can just fill that out anonymously. But uh, and I, I won't bring it up your name uh, on the episode unless you ask me to, but uh, I'd love to be able to discuss something you would like to hear about. And so especially during this pandemic, I figure there's some people that have some questions that they need to discuss. But as I began to think about what we would talk about, I really have been uh, grappling uh, with uh, dealing with some things in the book of Revelation. My study's not complete on that yet, but I'm getting close. So be praying for me about that about some things I want to discuss in Revelation. Probably will be next podcast that I'll be discussing that about the things in the end times, but I really need to put a little more study into that. But I want to talk to you today on a scripture uh, that in, in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23 Leviticus chapter 23 is where we'll be starting because, uh, you know, I had talked to you before about the Passover. And so we're going to go back to the feast for just an episode uh, here because I think it's just so good. uh, Some of the things in scripture that we see about the different feasts, you know, the Jewish uh, people still celebrate these feasts now in a different way than they did back in biblical time. But I think it's pretty neat. Some of the stuff that I've learned on the feasts. And so in Leviticus chapter 23, verse six, it says on the 15th day, the same month, the feast of unleavened bread, Unto the Lord, seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. In the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. And the seventh day is a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. And so it, it's given a, a mandate here. The Lord and, you know, the Moses inspired by the Holy Spirit has given the people a word from the Lord of what to do. And this is all everything in the feast. You know, I, I realize that, you know, we don't celebrate the feast anymore. Some Jewish people do even messianic, uh, Jews, the people that have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our savior, the Jewish people, they celebrate these feasts, but it's kind of like us with Christmas and with Easter and some of the things. A lot of these holidays have been changed. Of course, they've kind of been exploited, if you will. But I think there's still some pretty neat things that we can see in these. And and what he was establishing here, remember when we talked about the Passover last, the Passover dealt with our justification. Okay. So Jesus, when he was crucified, remember they would take the land, they would take the blood, they would put it over the doorpost, which was symbolizing of Jesus's blood that it covered our sin and kept God's protection in the home and kept the death, death angel away. But remember after the Passover, then that deals with justification. Justification is when our relationship is restored with almighty God. So through faith, the, the same faith, when they put that blood over the top of their door is the same faith we have that when we ask Christ into our heart and we turn from our sin and we trust God for our, for our salvation. Now, turning away from sin wouldn't have been enough. But Jesus had to die that we may be justified and right before God. So it's not try to do more to get right. 
But it is once I realize that Christ died for me, then I turn to him with all my life. But I trust him for justification. And I always say this, it's level at the foot of the cross. If you've given your life to Christ one day ago or today, you're just as close to God as I am from 15 years ago getting saved. You're just as close. You're restored. You're justified. You're justified. He says that, that he will cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. But when we get into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is where we are now, the unleavened bread feast that deals with our sanctification. And there's a process. Once we get saved, once we accept Christ as our savior, there is still a work that God wants to do in us. So next to the Passover, now we're to the feast of unleavened bread. And in Mark 7, 21, 23, he says this from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulterous fornications, on and on. And he said, pride and foolishness. And so he he's establishing, he's still establishing that there's still sin in our lives that comes from the heart. It, it doesn't just go away. You know, I wish the old man, the old man, the old selfish man, the old fleshly man, I wish he would have died at salvation. I didn't have to deal with him. But there's still some sanctification that this preacher has to go through on every day, even even evil thoughts. And it says even pride and foolishness, those are still things that needs to be leavened out of us. So the unleavened bread, they would take it, they would make sure there was no yeast. Our pastor did a good video on making unleavened bread uh, there for Easter on our website and the Free Will Baptist website. But he, it, the idea is that there, the, the leaven stands for sin in our life. And there's still a process of getting this sin out. I, I, whenever I was first saved, I'll never forget. I went and prayed at an altar and, and there was an altar call given. I used to laugh at those people that went forward. I thought, man, they got a lot of problems, you know? Well, about several years later, I hadn't been to church. The next thing I know, there was an invitation. I was going down to the altar and I remember I prayed for the Lord to forgive me. And I went out and lived the same way that next week, the whole week after I prayed for God to forgive me. And the next week, my sister came over, wanted us to go to church again uh, with my kids to go to Sunday school and go to church. So I went ahead and went again. But I'll tell you what, that next time when I prayed, I remember the Lord spoke to me. He says, you have to try. Now, was that trying? Did that mean that I had to try to accept because Jesus didn't do enough work, so I had to do some work? No. But the bottom line was God started dealing with me. I believe the second time I prayed, I was saved. God started dealing with me about getting things out of my life, and I knew what that meant. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I knew, and I thought, huh. So I went home, and I started cleaning the sin out. And see, this, this feast of unleavened bread, that's what they would do. You know, I started getting George and I started dumping things out. I, you know, you guys all know my testimony. I was given to drugs and alcohol. I started cleaning things out of my house. And in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's what they would do. They still do these feasts today. They celebrate these in different ways, of course. But a lot of Jewish families, when after they go through the Passover, after they have the Passover meal, let's see, when Jesus was buried... He was crucified on Passover, but he was buried that day, right before six o'clock. He was buried on the feast of unleavened bread. And, and there, that, that was all the godly timing. That was all these Jewish people been celebrating these feasts. They'd been doing these things. What the Jewish people would do was they would actually go through their house. They would wash their pans. They would go through their cabinets. They would make sure there was no leaven. There was no yeast because when they had left 
Egypt. They had come out of Egypt. Remember, they didn't have time to put the yeast in the bread. They didn't have time to do it, so they had to take their cakes and their bread that weren't risen, and they're more like a cracker than it was like a bread. And so they would go through their house and they would clean. Still to this day, they'll clean their pots, their pans. They'll look in now their refrigerators. Back then, their cabinets, and they would look everywhere. They would sweep the house. It would be like spring cleaning during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They would clean everything real well to make sure there was no leaven left in, to make sure there wasn't. And see, that's a picture of what we do in our life. I start my day with prayer. Before I even get out of bed, I'm praying, God, please help me. Watch over, guide me. Help me be the man of God you've called me to be. Not because I think I'm not saved or because God's condemning me, but because I understand I still need to be sanctified. It's a process of spring cleaning in my heart and in my life every day. And some people would say, well, you know, as far as the, whenever they left Egypt, they come out of sin, they come out of bondage. That's what this whole Passover is. You know, I was saved at a young age. Well, you may not be given to alcohol or even to drugs or into a sinful lifestyle, but you still have a flesh that needs to be dealt with. We all have pride. We all have had evil thoughts. We've all had covetedness. We've all had things in our life that's all symbolic of that past life, that life in Egypt. And that's what these children of Israel had to come out of. They had to come out of this life from Egypt. And when they would clean their pots, their pans, and their stuff, they would be reminded that we're coming out from that bondage. We had not be controlled by sin any longer now that we're a Christian. And if we are, we need to re-examine our life. Sometimes do our first works over again, the scripture says. We need to pray and ask God to forgive us again. You know, there's a place and time for people to join a church again and be baptized again. There's a time and place to do those things for the sanctification process. Because friends, if we're stuck and we're stopped and God's not doing anything in our life and we're feeling discouraged and being controlled by sin, then we need to challenge ourselves to go back and clean the house and do some spring cleaning, get the stuff out of our dresser drawers, get the stuff out of our vehicles, get the stuff out, the things that are ungodly. You know, we need to just embrace this fact of sanctification. But then Paul says this, putting off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts. And he's talking about the flesh and dealing with the flesh. In 1 Peter 2.11, it says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which were against your soul. They war against your soul. See, there's a part of me, the old man, the old guy that wants to get his selfish way. You know, the old selfish blankety blank, I heard one counselor say. We got to deal with that man. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. They would go through the house, these Jewish people, and they would clean and they would look and they would be worried because if they left any leaven behind, then it would be sin. It would be an approach against their house, against their home. And that's an attitude that we can have during not just the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but a spiritual principle of life that we can live our life. And actually now, that days, they actually, the Jewish communities, they will actually make a game of it. And one of the parents will take and hide, they will hide some leaven or some yeast in the house, and they'll put it in a little pile, maybe in a corner, maybe underneath something, and it will be a game. And the children will then have to, it was kind of like hide and go seek. And so they would have to find that leaven. And then when they found the leaven, they wouldn't just, you know, take it and put it in their hand and carry it out because that, that was symbolic of sin, so they would take a feather, they would brush it into a bag, never to touch it because they would not want to touch the sin. 
I mean, sin's an awful thing. It'll lead to spiritual death that led to Christ being crucified. And he, they would take it and sweep it with that feather into that bag. They would take the bag outside, then they would burn the bag outside. They would get it, and then they would, they would finish cleaning the house. And that's a picture of what happens when we want, when we're sanctified after salvation. There's a continued process. And when I think about sanctification, I begin to think about some scriptures. And one of my favorite scriptures is this, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Christ made him to become sin. See, Jesus knew no sin. He knew no leaven. He didn't know what it was like to be in bondage, but he became sin who knew no sin. And think about when he was, once he was crucified, what happened? See, they took him, they wrapped him. See, before six o'clock that night on the Jewish day began at 6 p.m. So he was crucified at nine. And so he was then dead by three. But then remember a storm came and then they had to bury him because the high holy Sabbath day, which was the day of unleavened bread, began at six o'clock. And so if you've ever been to Israel, and I have been, which was a great blessing, me and our pastor went, and it just Golgotha is right there by the garden tomb. So up on the hill, when you look at Golgotha, you can see it's called Golgotha means the place of a skull. You can see there's indented in the rock. There's two deep places and a place in the middle and a place on the bottom. It looks like a skull, like a eyes and nose and a mouth. You can see it in the side of that rock. But they believe that Jesus was crucified and celebrate the fact that he was crucified right up on top of that hill. So they just had to walk down. You know, I, I would imagine coming around that way is probably a quarter to a half a mile. But down there in Joseph Arimathea's tomb in his garden, where his vineyard was, then there was Jesus's tomb. So they had to take him down and they buried him close. It was amazing because some of those people, they had to be buried, but they had to carry him much further. But Jesus, it was so important in God's infinite wisdom and timing that he was buried and put away. So they had to hurry and they had to wrap him. In, in these spices, in this mirror, and they would take aloe. And what aloe was, they would take it and they would pulverize it. They would beat it. Remember what Jesus was? He was beaten and he was stricken of God, is what the scripture says. They would beat this aloe into a fine powder and they would they would make a powder of it. And then they'd take this myrrh and the myrrh was, an, was a gum type, sub, it was real gummy like honey, it was, but it had a great aroma to it. You know, a lot of you have smelled myrrh oil, but they'd take myrrh and aloe and they would mix them together and they would make and, and they would spread it on the body and then they would take and they would take the the bandages and they would wrap the bandages and they wouldn't smear the neck or the face with these with this mirror but they would leave it plain but they would go ahead and cover the head and the body and so that was a type of embalming and you know, it was even stated in the Bible that there were nearly a hundred pounds of spices used. So, I mean, these were spices were prepared and ready and disciples uh, took this and, and, and they took it to the garden tomb and they, he was embalmed, if you will, and he was put in the tomb. And when he was put in the tomb, there was a cord or a rope put across there. The, 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 the stone that went in front of the tomb was believed to take 20 men to be able to roll that. And I've seen where that where that stone was and that stone, that, that, that trough, if you will, where that stone rolled in. And I mean, it's two foot wide and they would take bars and roll it and men would push it. And then they took a cord and put it across that stone. Then they sealed it with a Roman seal. I saw one commentary believe they sealed the entire thing all the way around, but for sure, 
they would have sealed it with these Roman seals on each side to where if anybody broke this seal, there was death to come to the person that broke the seal. And they did all that right before six o'clock at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was a picture of putting away sin. See, Jesus wasn't sin, but he became sin that knew no sin, that we may become the righteousness of God. And they sealed him behind that tomb securely and tightly, and they put him away. That's a picture of our sanctification, that when we have faith in Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross, we become right before God, and we continue this putting away sin. We clean, we do spring cleaning. We clean the pots and the pans and the house and the thoughts and the mind. That's what prayer does when we cleanse ourselves and say, God, please forgive me. God, please help me. I pray today, God, use me as your instrument. I don't want to be used as an instrument from the devil, but God today use me. Let me not just on this podcast, but let me speak life into people. Let me be anointed with this power of God to see someone's life change. See, when you come in contact with the Savior of the world, it'll change your life forever. I know some of us, maybe you have an experience like me. I was a young man, 10 years old, and I said a prayer, and I never understood sanctification. I never understood. I just didn't want to go to hell. But it's more than that. This Christian life is a process of getting sin out of our life, and God deals with me on a daily basis. And I'm not scared of God like he's up there at the baseball bat going to hurt me. You know, my granddaughter, the other day I was talking to her. We got to watch her the other night, and, and she said, you know, uh, Papa, you know, Jesus, he's a pretty big guy. I said, yeah, he is. He said, you know, he's pretty big. He could squash us. That's what she said. Then I thought, boy, isn't that from the mouth of a babe, you know? I mean, she's just learned to communicate well and talk well. But she said he could squash us a little bit. That's what she added at the end. And I said, yeah, he could. And, you know, you say, oh, that's a hard thing for someone to say. And a little girl saying something like that. Well, let me tell you something, friends. The scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We don't have any fear for God. We don't think he can squash us. He can do anything to us. I'm not saying that I'm afraid that God's going to squash me all the time, but he does have the power to give life. Jeremiah said, I knew you in your mother's womb before I formed you. I knew you. I had a relationship with you or who you were going to be. That's what the scripture says. And so he forms us, but he can also destroy us. That's the truth. We can't go out in sin and continue. To the you know Romans says Paul said, "Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" God forbid. And I know I've heard people say, "Well, you know, you really got to talk to people about the love and about stuff." And that's true. God does love us. I'm a sinful man. I still sin, and God loves me. But it doesn't change the facts that I need sanctification that I still need God in our life. Remember when Jesus fed the people, you know, he fed the 5,000, he'd done it on two different occasions, and he took some fish and took some loaves, a few fish and some loaves, and he broke them down and he fed them and he seated the people down in fifties. And he said, here, and he fed them. And he, and then he, he used it as a lesson saying that, look, I am the bread of life. I am, what did he say to the woman at the well? He said, if you would have asked of this water, you would have never thirst again. 
What he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, does that mean that he wants us to be a cannibal and, you know, eat humans? No, that's not what it means. It means we need to consume him. This salvation, this sanctification is a consuming process. What's consuming our minds? What's consuming our hearts? See, it's not about just doing good things, but it's about what's our mind fixed upon? What are we spending our time meditating on? When I was in the world, it was on sinful things, and it was on things for me. What can I do? What can I get? You know, what about me? What about me? How come, what about when am I, when's going to be my day to be the show? Let me tell you what, in the Christian life, that's, those thoughts are, are opposite of what God, God wants us in this rat race of life. He wants us to grab other people by the hand and pull them up with us, not push them down so we can be elevated. It's less in me and more him. I must decrease that he must increase. And that's the picture of unleavened bread. That's where we're at today. And I think it's a great spiritual principle. Maybe it's time for us to clean our house out. Maybe it's time for you to get some known sin out of your life. Maybe it's time to go to someone today and apologize to them and tell them you're sorry. Boy, I had to do that last week. It wasn't fun. But boy, when I got done and I apologized and that person said, thank you, I appreciate you doing that. You know what it's almost like? I cleaned my house again. It's almost like I found that little lump of leaven over in the corner and cleaned it out. I felt God smile on me, not because I'm anything special, but because I was just complying with the process of sanctification. I'm not, I can't be in bondage anymore all my life. I can't be going around and saying hurtful things to people, not cussing them out, not doing that, but saying things that were, were mean and that were sharp. I can't be doing that all the time. If I do, I need to apologize. Just part of my sanctification. And maybe it's part of your sanctification. Maybe there's a relationship in your life you need to go back to and say, you know what? We parted ways over something that wasn't necessary to part ways over. It wasn't that big of a deal. And I need to be the bigger person and just take the loss. You know, I don't need to be bitter. There's two choices whenever we're in relationships with people and something bad happens. We can get bitter. We can get better. Be the better woman. Be the better man. Be the better woman or man of God. Friends, I hope this challenges you to be able to do some spring cleaning, get things out of your life. You know, time's too short. The Lord's coming back and I want to be prepared. I want to be a, I want to be without spot, without wrinkle, a bride prepared for her husband. We are the church. We're to be prepared. Don't forget, go ahead and share this with your friends. Go ahead and comment. We appreciate your interaction, but also you send in a question. If you have any questions about something you want discussed or a topic, no matter how small, no matter how big, I'd be glad to be able to try to expound on that and be able to study that out and to be able to help you. And until next time, friends, I really pray that you have a blessed week. God bless.